0: Hey everyone, I don't think I've ever thought about something for a week period so much in my life before. <laughs> this week was, yeah, I was thinking a lot this week. I couldn't decide if I wanted to pace around or if I wanted to sit, but I'll probably just sit and see how that goes. Uh, so, Mike, this is, this is what you do to make the big bucks, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, first off, I want to say that really this is, this is my prologue. A holy God plus a faithful man equals the kind of witness God desires. A holy God plus a faithful man equals the kind of witness God desires. And I basically have two hopes today. My first is that you all be convicted as I was this morning when I was studying for this message. I remember uh Stan is Stan? So there you are. I remember last week you talked about when you study for your messages, you're very convicted by them. And when you were talking about that, I kinda you know, I could relate a little bit, but obviously never speaking. For a church I never had and it really it did it really became more personal to me when I thought about this week and I was thinking about how convicted I was, because when you really want to know something, and you want to believe it, and you want to put it in your own life, it really, that conviction is really there. Not if you're, you know, if you're just thinking about it, if you just want to speak for everyone, then it's not on a personal level. And I really, I really realized what you were talking about last week when I was studying this week for this message. And of those two hopes, my second one is that uh, the words you hear today that, I hope that they have a lasting effect, that it won't just be this morning. There will be something that you'll think about for a while, something that won't just go throughout this afternoon, go throughout the rest of Father's Day, but it would really be on your mind for the rest of this week, and it would really be something that was like convicting for me. I wish it would be a long-lasting effect. I know personally from my life most messages I listen to, because usually I didn't care about them, I, after church, I was more concerned. I remember at the end of uh, services, I was so happy that it was over. That was, that's what I was happiest about. When the last song would come on, then my joy came. And I thought, I didn't know if it was joy from God or joy because church was over. That's usually, I finally shamefully discovered that it was because church was over. So yeah, that is, that's of my two hopes. That's my second one, that it would really that would really have a lasting effect. So with that being my illustrious introduction, I'd like to begin by stating that as Christians, I believe we're called to be authentic. I believe we're called to be authentic. And really, what does that look like? It really means that what you say is what you do. You really, the idea of you practice what you preach, you're genuine. And that's always been an important thing for me. Like especially when thinking about this message, when I was thinking about it for this week, I wanted it to be, uh, I wanted my ambition and I wanted my motivation not to be what I looked like up here, what I, uh, if I, whether or not I delivered a good message, I wanted to make sure that my ambition was make sure that I pleased God first and then I tried to bless everyone else. And there's so many thoughts that would come in, the things like, you can't bless everyone else, you're in front of church, you're going to, you know, all that kind of other stuff. And so really, yeah, back to the thought of being authentic. I believe we're called to that. And authentic, though, it doesn't mean necessarily that everything you do is even moral, extraordinary, or even good. Authentic means that you're genuine, for kind of a crazy example, Let's see. I've been speaking about five minutes, and so my voice is. I might ask you to get some water and all of that. But uh, as a crazy example, Hitler—he was an authentic guy. He really practiced what he preached. He believed in thanks. He believed in the extermination of the Jews, and the Holocaust caused over eight million lives. So he, is, he was legitimately an authentic guy. Now, when you think of someone who's genuine, a lot of times you think of, you know, he's a man of his word. And that's good. And when we want to think about men of really doing what we say, that's important. But Hitler, he was a guy that practiced what he preached. So we see that morality really doesn't have anything to do with authenticity. Morality doesn't have anything to do with authenticity unless, unless you're a Christian. Unless you're a Christian. So if you'd like to, in your Bibles, turn to... Matthew 5. I'll let you know in a minute where we'll be reading in that chapter. But before we read from there, I want to say first that most believers don't consider themselves as real role players. You know, as important players for God's team. That have really vital roles. That really have a responsibility. Generally speaking, we... As Christians, we don't consider our roles really to be that important. We kind of, if you look at the way we live our lives, we kind of trudge up life's path. And we just think of living morally, reading our Bibles, go to church, don't see the Da Vinci Code. Sorry for anyone that seen it is against the Da Vinci Code. But it's the, it's the idea that, we're missing, that we're, we're missing the point. That we're missing the point. And not only is that view misguided, God doesn't want to be a part of it. That's always been an important thing for me. As far as authenticity goes, if I wasn't, if I hadn't been in God's Word, if I had been acting the way at home, that I had a lot of times, say I had thanks. I had been having a, a bad day at home. I would usually want to have a bad day around other people because I wanted to be authentic. I wanted to be the person that I really was inside. So if I had... You know, had just, I was feeling, if I was feeling horrible at home, I wasn't being the person I wanted to be. A lot of times, I would come to church, and someone would be like, hey, Jonathan, and I'd be like, hey. Eh. You know, and I would just, because it was, I wanted to be who I really was inside. And so, like I said, not only is that view misguided, God doesn't want to be a part of it. So in Matthew f- at 5.14, if you made it there by now, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. It gives light to everyone in the house. Think about the middle of that verse again. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Up at Seaman uh, High School, where... I play tennis with the Pals sometimes. Um, If it gets late, they have have actually a bunch of big lights around the tennis courts. And say that you're playing tennis and it's getting late and it's getting dark and it's hard to see the ball and you're playing. And so your friend says, um, say you're playing singles with your friend and your friend says, I'll go put some quarters into the box and I'll light up the court. And which is pretty cool. There, there's just this box. You put in quarters. It's a way for, I don't know, semen making money or whatever. <laughs> but you put the quarters into the box, and the lights come on. Money makes, money makes the world go around, that kind of thing. And uh, you put it in, and imagine if your friend, you're watching your friend put the quarters in because you don't want to pay, and they put, it, they put the quarters in, and you're about to start, and your friend says, hold on, hold on a second. And your friend starts to climb up the fence and jumps on the pole, climbs up to the light fixture. This is the kind of light that you find at like a baseball diamond or something. And pulls out this really thick blanket and just drapes it over the light. And then climbs back down the fence and says, okay, I'm ready. You'd be like, what are you doing? You know, you'd think, you'd think your friend had gone insane. And that's kind of the idea that Jesus is talking about here that if we're lights, if we're supposed to be lights of the world, we're not going to put it under a bowl. We're not going to drape ourselves. We're not going to hide ourselves. We have a light that's been given to us from God. And so we really we need to make sure that when, when we go somewhere, wherever our witness is, that we're not draping the light that God has given us. So... Uh, make sure make sure really keep that in mind don't drape yourselves don't drape your light now i'm sure some some will say that these words from were meant just you know just for the disciples after all they were you know they were the chosen ones they were the ones chosen by christ to head to start the church to head the cause of christ they were kind of if i can say this the poster boys of christianity and they were the ones that were starting everything and really if you look at the bible holistically though as Every good hermeneutic student should do. If you look at it as a whole, you see that uh, you see that that light wasn't just meant for the disciples. That it wasn't just meant for them. Uh, Philippians—that was a uh, book written from a jail cell, most likely, most likely in Rome. And in it, Paul describes the Christian. He describes the Christian, or rather, what the Christian should look like. And he says, and remember, just think of yourself, think of yourself as if Paul is talking to you. We are the Christian that he's saying right here, that he is describing. Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there, starting at verse 14, I'll kind of be jumping around this message. Philippians 2, starting at verse 14 Do everything without complaining or arguing. I'm sure your parents have read that verse to you before. I remember I heard that one a lot. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you will become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In which you shine like stars. How, have you ever thought of yourself as shining like a star? Have you ever had that imagery for yourself as just really realizing that the righteousness that God has given you and the opportunities that God has given you to shine for him? That was that was really important when I was thinking about that. And it was always a really cool image that was always a really cool image for me because when I go outside at night and I look up and I see the stars, it's really it's really amazing. I remember <laughs> growing up I was so I was such a selfish person like I was so selfish that even I wouldn't want to admit that I was amazed by things you know I really had the attitude of you know that's that's okay you know but really when you forget your pride and you forget to look instead of when you, with instead of looking within yourself and you look at the world around you and you can see how bright the stars are at night It's really, it's something to be, it really is something to be amazed by. And I think there's a reason that Paul uses that kind of imagery, to shine like stars. And so if you can think of yourself, really think of yourself, ask yourself that question, do I shine like a star? Do I try to let others see how I can shine? And it's not a selfish thing. It's not a selfish thing to go out and make sure that people see who you are because the whole purpose of it is not to make yourself shine, it's to make sure they see Christ. And this goes to the, my whole message is really going to be about your witness, making sure people see how Christ shined through you. So, do you kind of see the progression here? In Matthew 5, we're supposed to be a light to the world, and Philippians were told to shine like stars. And furthermore, in 2 Corinthians, like I said, I'm going to be jumping around, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul tells the Corinthian believers that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. That is an amazing, that is an incredible verse for me. God in heaven, almighty God, is making his appeal through you and I. We are his ambassadors for his cause. Like shining like a stars. think of that pro- progression. Making sure that you don't hide your light. Making sure you don't drape yourselves. Making sure that you shine like a star, like Paul describes how the Christians should look. And also remember that you are God's ambassadors, that we are God's ambassadors, and we, that He is making His appeal through us. That, kinda, that puts a real responsibility on the whole thing, especially that was for me. Man, my voice goes out fast. So, uh, consequently, if we are lights of the world, if God really is making His appeal through us, you and I, then what does that look like? What does that look like in our daily lives? How can we represent Christ everywhere we go? How do we let that light, how do we let it shine before men? How do we keep the light of Christ steady and bright? You know, one of the things that I see so much about Christianity is we try, we try to live for Christ in so many ways, and we try to do it in the end We try to do it on our own. We go to Christian camps. I don't have anything against Christian camps. They're they're amazing tools for God's work. But there are so many Christian camps. You go to them, you get fired up for God, and how many kids come back and then that's it? They come back, they're on fire for God like three or four days, and then they stop. Think about that. How many Christian camps, how many Christian kids do you know to that have gone to a Christian camp and you don't see the light of Christ in them? It's because at those Christian camps... Either the kid is not paying attention or uh, they have not been shown there what they really need to do to live a continuous continuous life for Christ. Like I was just saying here, continuously shining for Christ. How do we let that light shine before men? And how do we not just let it shine, but how do we make sure that it keeps on going? You know that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. How do we make sure that it doesn't go out, that it keeps on going? Obviously, there are going to be trials and there are going to be times in your life, you know, when things aren't going well, but, (laughs) no, that's fine. How are you doing, Caleb? (laughs) How do we make sure that that light shines, that it's something that's steady and bright and it doesn't go out? Essentially, what does one do to be the kind of witness that God desires? What does one do to be a kind of witness that God desires? Well, that's what I'm going to be talking about, and I'd like to point to uh, three key things that one must do to be that kind of a witness, that kind of a testimony. So, number one, the kind of witness that God desires is not a willing spirit, but a wanting one. The kind of witness God desires is not a willing spirit, but a wanting one. It's the It's the idea that This isn't a duty. This isn't something we have to do. This is something we want to do. This is something we want to do. It's the idea that we want to shine for Christ. Remember that we're His ambassadors. This means that if God's making His appeal through us, and we look at what God has done, done, God has done for us in history, we're the kind of Christians that are going to want to work the overtime. We're the kind of Christians that are going to want to go the extra mile for Him. We're the ones that should want to do whatever it takes to really shine for him. And that means, a lot of times that means if you don't feel great, if uh, you don't feel like getting up in the morning, that's one of my problems right now, is getting up in the morning. And uh, i probably fix that if I went to bed at night. But um, if you really, really want to make that difference, how we want to, we want to make sure that we spend the overtime for him. And we want to make sure it's not a duty. So this means really going back. I want to kind of. I'm going to reiterating a lot of this imagery here. When you go out, you're not going to be draping your light. You're wherever you go. You want to let it shine for Christ. You want to let it shine. Matthew five sixteen says, "Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven." How many of you have thought about uh, letting others see how good you are, letting others see how uh, good the important things that you do. You know, if uh, a woman is, you say uh, she sees someone fall down, are you? Will you be embarrassed to help her up, or will you really want to help her up? I remember a book I had read for World Civ, it was called Inside the Kingdom, and it was by Carmen Bin Laden. And it was by has Has anyone heard of this book, Inside the Kingdom? No one. Okay. Uh, it was by Carmen Bin Laden, and she was someone who married into the Bin Laden family. And this was far before uh, Osama had even started his whole, you know, terrorist organization. It was before he was even before even the conflict with Russia and uh, she had married into the Bin Laden family and she didn't know very much about Muslim culture which is a huge mistake because she moved to Saudi Arabia and she lived with Yeslim Bin Laden and uh, she, slowly, she slowly started to realize how radical and really how wrong much of the Muslim culture in Saudi Arabia is. And her first experience was she was with her sister. This was before the wedding, before she married Yaslim bin Laden, the brother of Osama. And her sister fell down, and there was a Muslim man standing there. And he, he turned away and kind of, you know, because not only maybe he had seen her ankle, but she had actually felt, they were walking down some stairs. Yeah, that was it, they were walking down some stairs. And she fell down, and no one, no one there would help her up no one would. And it's because they were, in Muslim culture, it's, it's an embarrassment to be seen with a woman. It's embarrassment to especially be seen or helping a woman, even touching her. And he was, that Muslim man and the Muslim men that were there, they were putting their own embarrassment above helping someone else. And so think about the idea, am I embarrassed for Christ or am I just going to do what he says? And, uh, let's see, yeah, so, yeah, our desire must be there, our desire must be there. If it's not, it's vain and useless. If you're going to be witnessing for someone, witnessing to someone, if you're going to be representing Christ, and you you have some ulterior motive, if you do it because you think you have to, if it's a duty for you, then it's, one, it's not going to carry very much weight for you, you're not going to be a good witness. Two, it's not going to carry much weight for the person that you're witnessing to. And three, it's certainly not going to carry very much weight for our God in heaven. So, the kind of witness God desires is not a willing spirit, but a wanting one. Number two, the kind of witness God desires is akin to a good signpost. The kind of witness God desires is akin to a good signpost. Now, uh... You know where I'm going with this. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of a signpost? It basically it serves to point people in a certain direction. The purpose that it serves is if, if someone goes up to it, it points someone in a certain direction. If there is a signpost that you walked up to and you couldn't read it, and you didn't understand even where it was pointing, if the lettering wasn't telling you where you wanted to go, where you wanted to go, you'd be lost. Think of yourself as a signpost. Think of yourself as that kind of signpost. When people look at you, they see Christ, and you're pointing them to Christ. And I got this illustration uh, from John from John Wright, who wrote this book, *The Fight*. It's probably yeah, it's in my top two. I put my top ten, top five, top. I do that all the time. But it's probably in my top two of books I've ever read on Christianity. It's the, I like the side. The subtitle here, A Practical Handbook for Christian Living. And it really is. It's, it's an incredible book. I think you can even buy it for like three or four bucks online. And it's really incredible book. And I got, I got the signpost illustration from John White. And he says at the bottom of 61 here, a signpost points to a destination. It matters little whether the signpost is pretty or ugly old or new, it helps if the lettering is bold and clear, but the essential features are that it must point in the right direction and be clear about what it is pointing to. If you ask people to describe the signposts that directed them to their destination, they will remember some and forget others altogether, but forgotten or remembered, the signpost will have done their job if they got the travel to where he wanted to go. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jesus told the early disciples. In a sense, it matters very little whether you are in an antique rural signpost written in elegant ancient script or a bright green modern one strung up over the freeway. You do not exist to draw attention to yourself, but to direct people's thoughts to a divine destination. A signpost has defeated its purpose if it is so attractive that it draws attention to itself rather than to a city. And I am, like I've said before, I am big on imagery, and a signpost was really an incredible image for me. Pointing, pointing people to Christ. Think of yourself as a signpost. And when you do, make sure that it is to Christ you are pointing people. If you're going to be a signpost, if you're going to make sure that your deeds are seen by people, then it better be that you're pointing people to Christ, Make sure that you're pointing them to that divine destination, not to yourself. Make sure that you're never witnessing for Christ, that you're never, and also witnessing for Christ. You need to understand, you can't be results-oriented. You'll crash and burn. If you're going to be a true witness for Christ, and you're concerned about whether that person accepts what you have to say, then you will really crash and burn, because the reactions you're going to get are going to be different. Some of them will respond some people will respond very well. Some people will respond horribly. And make sure that you are not results-oriented. You make, sh- make sure that you tell people about Christ and you leave conviction and the rest of it to the Holy Spirit. And it's, uh, man, that time goes fast. It's Father's Day. Dads, 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 you have a great responsibility. You're kind of like the president of your own little country. <laughs> And that you're leading an example. And I, again, that's another image that I like. You're the president of your own little country. Think of presidents of different countries across the world. If you don't run your country very well, most likely there's going to be revolt. There's going to be all kinds of problems. And if you do run your country well, although you know, there are some kids, in the end, the decision is going to be up to, it's going to, be up to them. But if you do run your little country well, you will have good followers. Usually a good leader, there's always going to be good followers. And that's, you want to make sure that that's the most important thing that you're doing, that you are being a good leader, despite what uh, anyone else thinks of you. And, but whatever you do, dads, make sure that you don't think of your responsibilities as the most important thing of putting food on the table, of uh, financial stability... Make sure as, you know, putting a roof on their heads. Those things are important, and they have their place. They are important, but you want to make sure that you don't think your role as a dad is that. Your role as a dad is being a good signpost. Proverbs nineteen eighteen says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. And not just discipline. Lead by example. You can't tell your kids... You, to live a godly life while you don't live one. Lead by example. Your kids, they really, they watch you every day. They watch, they watch you what you watch on TV, how you treat your wife, how you treat them. Really, if you're living a legitimate, authentic life, make sure that you are testimony for, for your family. Make sure you're testimony for your family. When they see you, make sure, I've said make sure way too much, when they see you, you want, to, you want them to know that they see Christ. You want them to know when they look at you, they don't see someone as just a dad. You don't, in the end, when they remember you, after 20, 30, 40 years, will they remember you as a good dad or will they remember you as a dad who was sold out for Christ and really sought to please Christ in everything he did? Make sure you are testimony for your family. So number two was the kind of witness God desires is akin to a good signpost. Really think about that today. Where are you pointing people? Now, since it's a very good place to start, let's go back to the beginning. And let me lastly say that the kind of witness God desires is authentic. Like I was talking at the beginning, the kind of witness God desires is an authentic one. <laughs> That's a nice looking out there. Uh, this goes back to the what you practice, what you preach saying, and that's, I think that's, that is a really good saying. There are a lot of cliches. No matter how many times they've been used, they are good. What you practice is what you preach. Who you are at home is really who you are inside, and that's another thing that has been important to me when I'm thinking about that. I, th- I think it's also out of that book. Who you are at home is who you really are inside, and why is that? Why is it? you act differently around some of your family members. And instead of when you go out in public, you think of yourself as maybe a different person, another standards you have to meet. Because at home, there are, no, there are no social, there's nothing, there's no status to get. At home, everyone knows who you are. They know everything about you. They know things they probably don't want to know about you. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to show. When you are at home, is who you really are. So think about that. Think about yourself as, like I said, think about yourself as a signpost, and also think about yourself when who you are at home is who you really are. Now, and also think, are you a Christian just around other Christians, this idea of your witness? Or are you a Christian also with your coworkers? Are you a Christian with your friends? Are you a Christian, no matter where you are, are you one that is willing to, not just willing, but wanting to share his testimony. I'm going to read the, one more quote from this book, and it's yeah, it's he's talking again about what kind of Christian you are. See if I can find my place here. Whoa, yeah, that was on yeah 63, not 172. Bottom, yeah, the bottom of 63. Uh, he says. The Christ who died for you demands that you confess your allegiance to him before your friends. You confess your allegiance to him before your friends. Should you fail to do so, you'll not only be acting in a manner unfaithful to Christ, but will become the unhappy denizen of two worlds. Does anyone think of themselves as that? Feeling fully at home in neither. With your old friends, you will find that the magic is gone, however hard you try to rekindle it. With your fellow Christians, you will talk a Christian language, have a different set of jokes, shared cliches, and ethical mores. With either group, you may feel embarrassed when you are discovered in the company of the other. It is not a matter of severing one set of relations. This is important here to understand. It is not a matter of severing one set of relations in order to cement another, but of being an honest person in both. The decision about what groups you belong to is not your decision. You belong to Christ. Belong to Him openly, and you will find that some people will reject you, while others will be more eager to welcome you. Ask yourself also that question, do you live in two worlds? Are you someone that is ashamed to share the gospel? Are you someone that lives in one world with Christ? No matter where you go, are you willing... Are you willing to say to anyone that you meet, anywhere, anytime, that Christ is what you're all about? Now, this is something that I'll be looking down more at the page for. Is something I really want to make sure. I remember when I was, I was talking to you, was that a Wednesday? I think it was a Wednesday. When you were telling me about speaking, and you would put things in bold and just said, read. Uh, this is, yeah, this is that right here. We are witnesses of something far greater than ourselves. We are children of an almighty God. But oftentimes we don't think of ourselves in that light. We forget who we are, and in forgetting who we are, we end up ignoring who God really is. He's more important than your wife. He's more important than your children. But the cool thing is, once you realize that, The cool thing is, once you realize that, you end up loving your wife, children, your brother, sister, everyone far more than you ever did before. He's the originator of love. He knows what he's doing. He's more important than a football game on a Sunday afternoon. He's more important than every convenience you've ever had. So important, in fact, that Paul said, to live, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you think of yourself as living for Christ Everything you're about, every moment of every life, are you about living for Christ? And if you die, then you're happy because you're, in the end you're going to where you want to go. Ask yourself that question, not just this morning, but for the remainder of this day at least. Do I live for Christ? And in asking yourself that question, you must understand that living for Him may mean abandoning the life you're living right now. Or it may mean remaining in the current place, lifestyle, and role that you have. But above all else, to live, to really live for Christ means a complete surrender. It means a complete surrender to His will. It means an opening up. A heart that says, God, guide my steps. Take my hand and lead me to wherever you want me to go. In a In uh, Evangelism and Spiritual Life at Grace, it was a two-credit course. It was taught by Dr. Hauge, probably the most respected professor on campus. And uh, I remember every class he had. The class was, since it was a two-credit course, and we met for about a week, uh, the class period was about, I think it was an hour and 50 minutes. met once a week. And I remember every class period, he always had everyone really close to him. He always had them line up in two rows. No one could ever sit in the back. He, he said, I'll take credit from you. I'll take your grades down if you sit in the back. You can sit there, but I'm going to take your grade away. And he always had to make sure that everyone was close and everyone was there because he liked the communication. He liked to make sure he was talking to people. And... I remember that every lesson he had, almost every single person there was hanging on to almost every word he said because he was, he was an authentic guy. He was actually the chaplain for the Nebraska football team for a number of years. And uh, I, don't, I hope that wasn't what got his respect around campus. could have been for a few people, being in Omaha. But I remember he said there was one particular class period when he was talking about spirituality, and he was talking about the world that we really live in is a spiritual one. And I remember I had hardly ever been hit by a message so hard than that one. I'd never been so focused after that class period that I've been probably in any other message I've heard. And the one line that hit me the most was when he said, I can't, he, when he was speaking to the class, and he said to everyone, and he pointed his finger, and he said, I can't think of a more selfish and disgusting thing that a Christian can do than to have the opportunity to share their testimony and to share the gospel of Christ with someone and not do it. He said, I can't think of a more disgusting thing that you can do. And I thought about that, and I was like, wow, that is really true. I'm putting myself... I'm putting myself and my embarrassment and what I think above whether or not that person goes to heaven or they burn for in hell for eternity, and that was the line. That was something that probably even, even probably my whole time of grace that really hit home for me. And uh, I'm running out of time here, but I remember I was in a I was in a long car ride with a friend one time, and he wasn't a Christian, and we were talking, we were having a good conversation and we were listening to good music. Good music is important. And we started, we were having a really good conversation and he even brought up religion. He's someone I'd known for a long time. And the whole time I was, I knew that God wanted me to witness to him. I knew that God was telling me specifically tell him. And I didn't do it because I was, I was too embarrassed. And I was too ashamed what, he might think of me, and would the rest of the car ride? Would it be awkward? You know, would he be upset? Would he? I was too worried about his reaction. And today, this morning, really think about that. Is are you someone who is too embarrassed for Christ? Or are you going to be someone who is authentic and who is going to live in one world for Him? And this is almost a commitment that I'm even making to myself today. I'm trying to make to my, make to myself this week. Are you someone who really lives for Christ? Are you authentic? And so that's basically it, and that's, that's really what I want you to think about today. Really get that stuck in your mind for the rest of the day. I, uh, as you go and you celebrate with family and you uh, give, I'm sure, outlandish, expensive gifts to your dads, uh, I want to make sure that dads, everyone, kids... All you know that the responsibility you have is a great one. We are ambassadors for Christ. And if I could, real quick, is anyone here a Switchfoot fan? I know Eric said he was. Switchfoot, the band? Dan, you like Switchfoot? Okay, nice. Uh, This is a song that has probably been the most convicting song for me. This is a really good band, and... uh, The chorus is, this is your life, are you who you want to be? And I want you all to think about that, really, as the song is being played.